So uh, we're in the book of Acts. <clears throat> Your notes might look just a little different if you're paying close attention tonight. Uh, I don't have a lot of sections in there for you to write down notes, and I did that for a reason. <clears throat> um, I'm going to read this whole section. We're going to pick up in Acts chapter 9, starting with verse 32. We're going to read down through chapter 10. Yes, it's a lot of verses. But what happens in chapter 10 is a, a flashpoint that will follow uh, almost through the rest of the book of Acts. And it's a flashpoint for people debating over if, you know, keeping the Torah is legitimate for, you know, Christians today and, and that kind of stuff. And what I stress here is that we're going to read our Bibles in, so we're going to read it in context. <clears throat> so there's no divisions there in your notes. I just copied and pasted it, uh, and we're just going to, and I'm going to read it all, and then we're going to go back and we're going to look at this whole section in context. So because I want you to see a, pro, a predominant, I mean, overwhelming theme in this section. And Peter even tells us, you know, because this is the section where Peter has his dream, you know, where the sheet comes down and there's all the animals in it. And God says, you know, kill and eat. And he goes, I've never eaten anything unclean. Watch this. Here's a clue or common. It's a clue. It's going to come back up here in a minute. <clears throat> But then Peter explains it. Anyhow, that's the one part everybody remembers. And if you tell people, yeah, we believe that the Torah still applies, yeah, but Peter's vision. I'm going to show you, and we're going to look at this, but we're going to study this in context. Real important, right? That means who wrote it, what kind of book. So what kind of book are we studying? A historical document. It's more of a historical document than a theologic, theological essay or treaties or statement like you would pretty much classify the book of Romans. Um, but this is a historical document telling us what they did and what happened. Uh, but also reading something in context does literally mean the verses prior, the verses you're reading, and the verses after so that you get the whole story instead of pulling something out of context and then putting it on Facebook as fake news. Right? Because you can almost pull anything out of context, right? Actually, you can. You can pull anything out of context and make anybody say almost anything. Right? <clears throat> so <clears throat> I'm going to read this, and then we'll come back and look at this. And once again, I'm reading this out of the Scriptures version. So I'm going to pick up in Acts chapter 9, starting with verse 32. This shifts from the focus on Paul, which it's his road to Damascus, you know, salvation encounter. <clears throat> and then it switches from that and the eyes coming off of him, I mean, the scales coming off of his eyes and everything to verse 32. Now it's going to shift to Peter, or as it's translated in this translation, Kepha. <clears throat> So starting in verse 32, it says, And it came to be, as Kepha was passing through all places, that he also came down to the set-apart ones who were dwelling in Lod. And there he found a certain uh, man named Aeneas, 
who had been bedridden for eight years being paralytic. And Kepha said to him, Aeneas, Yeshua, the Messiah, heals you. Rise up and make your bed. And immediately he rose up. And all those dwelling in Lod and Sharon saw him and did turn to the master. And in Yafo or Jaffa is how it's pronounced currently, there was a certain taught one named Tabitha, which means Dorcas. This woman was filled with good works and kind deeds, which she did. And it came to be in those days that she became sick and she died. And having washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And Lod, being near to Jaffa, and the taught ones having heard that Kepha was there, they sent two men to him, urging him to not delay in coming to them. And having risen up, Kepha went with them. And when, they, when he arrived, they brought him to the upper room. And all the widows stood behind him weeping, showing the inner garments and the outer garments which Dorcas has made while she was with them. She made garments. But Kepha sent them all out and knelt down and prayed. <clears throat> and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and seeing Kepha, she sat up. Man, hallelujah. Amen. And giving her his hand, he lifted her up, and calling the set-apart ones and the widows, he presented her alive. Can you just imagine? Absolutely amazing. And it became known throughout all Jaffa, and many believed on the Master. Many believed in the Lord. And it came to be that he stayed for many days in Yafo with Shimon, a leather tanner. You have to continue because when Luke wrote this, he did not put the numbers and the chapter headings and the chapter numbers in here, right? So we're just going to keep reading. <clears throat> now, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a captain of what was called the Italian regiment. He was dedicated and fearing Elohim with all his household, doing many kind deeds to the people and praying to Elohim always. He clearly saw in a vision about the ninth hour of the day, a messenger of Elohim coming to him and saying to him, Cornelius, and looking intently at him and becoming afraid, he said, what is it, master? And he said to him, your prayers and your kind deeds have come up for a remembrance before Elohim. And now send men to Yafo and send for Shimron, who is also called Kepha. He is staying with Shimron, a leather tanner whose house is by the sea. And when the messenger spoke to him, went away, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a dedicated soldier from among those who had waited on him continually. And having explained to them all, he sent them to Yafo. And on the next day, as they were on their way approaching the city, who would that be? The messengers that Cornelius sent. Just keeping this in context. Kepha went up on the housetop to pray, and it's about the sixth hour. And he became hungry, and he wanted to eat. But while they were preparing, he fell into a trance. And he saw the heaven open and a certain vessel like a sheet, like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth, in which were all kinds 
of four-footed beasts of the earth, wild beasts and creeping creatures and birds of the heaven. And a voice came to him, rise up, Kepha, slay and eat. But Kepha said, not at all, master, because I have never eaten whatever is common or unclean. Pause for effect. (laughs) Common or unclean. A voice came to him again a second time. What Elohim has cleansed, you do not consider common. Pause for effect again. (laughs) Okay, let's continue. And this took place three times. And the vessel was taken back to heaven. While Kepha was doubting within himself about what this vision might mean, what it might mean, look, the men who had been sent from Cornelius, having asked for the house of Shimon, stood at the gate and calling out, they inquired whether Shimon, also known as Kepha, was staying there. And as Kepha was thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, see, three men seek you. But arise, but but rise up, go down, and go with them, not doubting at all, for I have sent them. So Kepha went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Look, I'm the one you seek. Why have you come? And they said, Cornelius the captain, a righteous man and one who fears Elohim and well spoken of by the entire nation of the Yehudim, the Jews, was instructed by a set-apart spirit. I'm just going to remind you that term in this version when it says set-apart, that's Holy Spirit. kind of helps you remember that holiness means set-apart. I lost my place. (laughs) 22, thank you. Uh, By the set-apart messenger uh, to send... For you to his house and to hear words from you. So inviting them in, he housed them. And on the next day, Kepha went away with them, and some brothers from Yafo went with him. And the following day, they entered into Caesarea, and Cornelius was waiting for them, having called together his relatives and close friends. And it came to be that when Kepha entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and bowed before him. But Kepha raised him up saying, stand up. I myself, I'm also a man. And talking with him, he went in and found many who had come together. And he said to them, quote, you know that a Yehudite or a Jew, Jewish man, is not allowed to associate with or go to one of another race. But Elohim has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. That is why I came without hesitation when I was sent for. So I ask, why have you sent for me? And Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house and see a man stood before me in shining garments. 
and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your kind deeds were remembered before Elohim. Now send, Yot, send to Yafo and call Shimon here, who is also called Kepha. He is staying at the house of Shimon, a leather tanner by the sea. When he comes, he shall speak to you. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. And now we are all present before Elohim to hear all that you've been commanded by Elohim. And opening his mouth, Kepha said, <clears throat> quote, Truly I see that Elohim shows no partiality. But in every nation, he who fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Now he's going to preach. He sent the word to the children of Israel, bringing the good news, peace through Yeshua Messiah. He is the master of all. You know what word came to be throughout all Yehuda, beginning from Galil or Galilee, after the immersion which Johanan proclaimed, it's talking about the baptism of John, how Elohim did anoint Yeshua of Nazareth with the set-apart spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for Elohim was with him. And we are witnesses of all he did, both in the country of the Yehudim and in Jerusalem, Jerusalem, whom they even killed by hanging on a timber, hanging on a tree. Elohim raised up this one on the third day and let him be seen, not to all people, but to witnesses, those having been chosen before by Elohim, to us who ate and drank with him, after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to proclaim to the people and to witness that it is he who, had, who was appointed by Elohim to, to be the judge of the living and the dead. To this one, all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone believing in him does receive forgiveness of sins. While Kepha was still speaking these words. The set-apart spirit fell upon all those hearing the word and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as many as came with Kepha because the gift of the set-apart spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and extolling Elohim. Then Kepha answered, Is anyone able to forbid water that these should not be immersed or baptized, <clears throat> who have received the set-apart spirit, even as also we have? And he commanded them to be immersed, baptized, in the name of Yeshua Messiah, then they asked him to remain a few days. We pray that God would honor the reading of his word. Amen. Amen. So <clears throat> here's what I want you to see as we, we're going to march back through this just a little bit. We have now, that, remember this is <clears throat> Luke giving a historical account of the early believers. He started out talking about Paul 
Shaul, who sees Jesus on the road to Damascus, has the scales come off. He goes into Arabia. We looked at kind of all that stuff. Now it shifts to Peter, Kepha. And in these stories, connected one after another, that's what I want you to see, that they're absolutely connected one to another, that Peter's going to meet three people. All three are going to have an impact on people getting saved. And miracles are going to happen with all three of them. Okay? The first one in verse uh, 33, because it starts off talking about, so Peter, what, what's happening is Peter's now, he's going around preaching. He's going, it's basically he's going here and there. He's just going out preaching, telling people about Yeshua. And in verse 33, it says that in this area, uh, there was a certain man named Aeneas. And this man had been bedridden for eight years and he was a paralytic. It's a long time. Uh, the muscles atrophy. Anybody here ever been in a cast? And yeah, and the muscles. It's like the muscles atrophy. Like it's, they start atro- they start dying on you in three days. It's ridiculous. You take that thing off and you go, where'd those muscles go? It's ridiculous, right? <clears throat> He's been a paralytic for eight years. Um. So. <clears throat> Peter finds him in this area and sees that he's a paralytic and he's been this way for eight years. You don't find anything in here about Aeneas exercising great faith and getting saved and healed and all that. It just says he was there. He'd been bedridden for eight years Peter looks up at him, looks at him and says, Aeneas, Yeshua the Messiah heals you, rise up, make your bed. And it says immediately he gets up. There's mir- this miracle is magnificent for a lot of reasons. One, he's been a paralytic for eight years. And Peter understands by the Holy Spirit that this is going to be a, uh, a salvation event. That this has happened for a reason. Peter knows he's there on purpose for a purpose and realizes that Aeneas is there for a reason, that he's been paralytic for eight years for a reason. He's going around preaching the gospel and he immediately seizes on this moment and he understands by the Holy Spirit, Aeneas, by the power of Yeshua the Messiah, he's the one that's going to heal you. Get up. Man, he just jumps up. This isn't a uh, progressive healing. It says he gets up and gathers together his bed. Um, you know, I saw those that video, Bammer, that you sent me, you know, when you tried on that prosthetic leg for the first time, you know, and your brain is trying to, you know, reconfigure, you know, your balancing thing. And the guy's telling you, because when you walk without one leg for, it'd been uh, years, right? Uh, Your brain starts to rewire 
the balancing in your muscles and you naturally start putting your leg farther underneath your body, you know, to balance. Uh, and so it just takes a time, a while to start rewiring your brain that it's okay to put that one leg on this side and the prosthetic leg on this side and, and all that. Your, your brain is having to <clears throat> rewire itself on all those neurons and the, everything that's going on with your nervous system and everything to get all that to function properly. We don't, none of that happens with this guy. He hasn't even walked. He's been bedridden for eight years. He gathers up and grabs his bed. It says he immediately rose up. <clears throat> Meaning as soon as Peter says this, his legs are healed and strengthened and everything is functioning. And he gets up immediately and he gets his bed together. And it says, and all those dwelling in that whole area, and many of them, almost all of them, it says, it says all of them dwelling there, they saw him and they, they were turning to Yeshua as the Messiah. They were turning to Jesus. They were giving their lives over to Christ. Miracle, right? And, and that's really cool. <clears throat> um, it says... So, so that this is where Peter is. He's in this area called Lode. Um, we'll leave it there for now. And this other area, Jaffa. It's currently called Jaffa. There's no J in Hebrew, so it's, um, it's really Yafo. Um, <clears throat> it's real close, uh, basically, to Tel Aviv. It's not that far from Tel Aviv, okay? If you want an idea of where it is there on the Mediterranean Sea, uh, and that is not that far uh, from where Peter is. Obviously, word is spreading. There's more, there's, more, there's more stuff going on over here, right? Peter's over here. There's a guy that's been bedridden for eight years, and Peter just looks at him, says something to him. There's no ointment. There's no smoke. There's no crazy dancing you know, there's, there's no weirdness. He just says, Messiah Yeshua heals you. He gets up, man, and everybody's turning to this Yeshua as the Messiah. It's turning the town upside down. There's this really righteous woman, Tabitha, in, I'm going to say in Joppa or Yafo. They understand that Peter is not far this woman was filled with good works. This woman was filled with good works um, and, and taking care of the poor. Uh, she was a seamstress. She, she made clothing. Uh, <clears throat> when Peter gets there, the picture is that the, all these people that are mourning her death, because she's dead. She's not kind of dead. She's not sort of dead. She's dead, Okay. Um, and they, they've already, they've already prepared her for burial. They've washed her body and got her ready, uh, for burial. Uh, they've got her up in this room, upper room above the house. Uh, everybody's coming and giving their condolences and everything. And people have brought the clothing that she had given them. They're, 
They're, they're, this, is, this is this woman. Look, look at what she did. So they're showing both these inner and outer garments that this woman had made and she had given to the, to the poor and, and to these women and how she had just blessed them. Uh, and this is where you get down in verse 38 where it says, they heard that Peter's in Yafo and, uh, or, or that he was near and so they, they go and uh, they send for him. <clears throat> so they send Peter up into the room. They're showing him these clothes and he just looks at him and says, Everybody leave. Out. So they leave the room. And it says that Peter kneels down to pray over. A few other little minor details here. We don't see Peter touching her until after she's alive. He wouldn't and couldn't. Because if he'd have touched a dead body, then he would become unclean where he couldn't go into the temple and would have to go through a ritualistic cleansing. Didn't make him sinful, just unclean or really unclean. <clears throat> um, and so he wouldn't have, do he wouldn't have done that. Um, Peter was extremely devout, Right? We'll see that again in just a second here where he's, his confession. <clears throat> uh, so he kneels down and he's praying over the body. Notice where it says in verse 40, 40, uh, verse 40, he sends them all down and he kneels down to pray. So he gets down on his knees to pray. And turning to the body. That's another little clue here in Luke through the Holy Spirit helping us understand Tabitha's technically not there, okay? There's a shell there that was her body. So Peter turns to the body and he starts praying and he speaks to her, calling her by her name, turning to the body and he said, Tabitha, get up. Tabitha, arise. She opened her eyes and seeing Kepha, she sat up and giving her his hand. You see, it's not until she looks at him, she's awake, she's now alive, her spirit, her being, however that floats your boat, you want to talk about that, has now entered back into this body. The breath of life is now back in this body. She sees him, she sits up, and now you see where he's, now he's touching her, giving her his hand, <clears throat> and she gets up, and he calls her... Okay, y'all can come back in now. And he presents her to them alive. Uh, yeah, I mean, let's assume this was your friend, your wife, your mother, your sister, whatever, your neighbor, somebody that had given you clothes, you, you're still holding the clothes that you were showing, bragging, this is what this woman did for me. And you walk back in the room and she's standing up. Whoa, right? <clears throat> um, but I want you to see in verse 42 that it also says, it became known all over Town, Yafo, Joppa. And what happens? Many people come to faith in Yeshua again. 
God is using these events to spread the good news that Yeshua is the Messiah, salvation from sins come from him, and these miracles are proving that he's the Messiah and that he has come to deliver all the world from our sins and bring us into his kingdom. You following that? And so then it says he stays for many days with Shimon, who has the his same name as he has, but he's a leather tanner. You do realize that when they tanned leather back then, they didn't use chemicals. That was a smelly business. That was a smelly business back in the day. You ever known anybody that works at uh, Whataburger? You know, you just smell like Whataburger, right? They come, they just, of course, I love Whataburger. I've been eating it since I was 15. I mean, uh, that smell just kind of gets on you, right? Um, one of the things I was reading was saying that the interesting thing here about Peter in this story here, how he's staying with this guy. He's basically got the same name as Peter. Um, but he's a leather tanner. Um, he's just a common guy. And he's also a little bit smelly. You can tell by the way he smells what he does for a living. It's just that's the nature of the beast back in the day. Um, <clears throat> Peter wasn't above staying with a guy that's a leather tanner just because he was Jesus' buddy. And just because he could say, Tabitha, arise. You know, he didn't need to be carted around in a limo or whatever, or treated any differently. Um, and we're going to see that again when he goes to talk to Cornelius. Cornelius tries to worship him. He's like, don't be doing that. Whoa, 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 stop. I'm just a guy. Uh, no, no, don't, don't do that. Um, how I wish, and I know there are a lot of ministers that are humble. It's just that they're typically not on TV. That's just kind of the nature of that beast. Uh, but um, we're not supposed to be pointing to ourselves or anything. We're supposed to be pointing people to Jesus. All focus on Him. All focus on God. We're all the same. If you believe in Yeshua, you have the same Holy Spirit living in you that lived in Paul, lived in Peter, lived in John and James and me and anybody else in this room. You're not any lower or any better. We're all the same. Amen? <clears throat> and that was just a little interesting thing that I saw there. Then now, the whole rest of the chapter 10, right? It's connected. You, can't, you shouldn't separate this story from the previous two stories. Because look what it says. Now there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a captain of what's called the Italian, the Italian regiment, dedicated and fearing God. You go through all that. Down in verse 5, we see where he's going to send the men where to get Peter? In Yafo. He's still there. All this is still going on. There's this connecting thread here. And Cornelius has seen a vision. Isn't it fascinating? Really fascinating. 
Peter's going to see a vision. Cornelius saw a vision. Who else did we just read about that saw a vision? Paul saw a vision. Barnabas was given a vision, you know, to go and minister to him. He sees God. He's like, he came here to kill us. Are you kidding me? Or Ananias, he came here to kill us and you want to meet it? Yeah, you need to go. <clears throat> we talked about that last week. And what is even unfolding, you, you really ought to research this. Uh, over in the Middle East, in the Muslim world, the thousands, and they're saying it's hundreds of thousands, maybe even more, that are coming to Yeshua daily. And one of the biggest things that's happening is that they're seeing visions of Christ. They're seeing visions of Yeshua. And it's rocking their paradigm. And they're like, oh, well, I was wrong. And, and so that's what was happening. So now what's happening? Cornelius has a vision. Peter's going to have a vision. God is like, look, I'm talking to him. I'm telling him. I'm going to tell him that I'm telling him. And I'm going to tell you that I'm telling him. It's like God's like the operator going, I'm orchestrating this. This is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I'm involved in this, right? Um, <clears throat> so Cornelius has this vision. Cornelius is a godly, God-fearing man, but he doesn't know Yeshua. He knows the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He does good deeds for the poor and stuff. He's kind of like Tabitha. He's a kind person. Uh, he's also a very important person, right? And he gets this vision because he's praying and he's doing, these, he's doing what God wants and what he says in the Torah, be nice, take care of the widow and the orphans, Take care of the hungry. Take care of the naked and the, the destitute and those in prison. And do these good things. And if your neighbor's oxen is in the ditch, go help him get it out. If your neighbor's goat comes over to your house, take care of the goat. Give it back to him without charging him interest. That's not easy when your goat is eating your bushes. <laughs> You know, and you just put the bushes in. You're like, can you come get this dumb goat? <laughs> that happened to us. Um, it's not easy, but that's what, the, that's what the Bible tells us to do. <clears throat> this is who Cornelius is. And he gets this vision, and the vision says, okay, there's this guy, Peter. Shomron, Shomon, and or Simon. In your ESV, it'd probably say Simon. And he's staying with a guy named Simon, a tanner. He's got a house by the sea there in Joppa, or Jaffa, right? I'll say it in Texan English. He's in Jaffa. He's staying with the tanner, Simon the tanner. Simon, who's also called Peter, staying with Simon the tanner and a house by the sea in Jaffa. You need to go get him, and he's going to come and talk to you. Does that sound weird to anybody other than me? You're praying. You're a good, good guy. You're wanting to understand everything that God has for you. All of a sudden, an angel shows up. He tells us later, he shows up in these shining garments. Would that scare you? That'd wake me up, right? Out of a dead sleep. Uh, and he goes, <coughs> okay, there's this guy named Peter. 
real name's Simon. He's staying with Simon a tanner. He's in Joppa. Go get him. Okay. <laughs> so that's what he does. He goes and he sends. He's got two servants and a dedicated soldier, excuse me, that, uh, <clears throat> that he sends with them. Need y'all to go to Joppa. I need you to get Simon. Need you to get Peter and just tell him this is what happened and go get him. <clears throat> so <clears throat> in verse 9, it says, on the next day as they were on their way approaching the city. If you don't read all this stuff in context, you miss this. He's tying this together so that we know that this is the same story and that there's a link here. So he's saying, as these servants and this soldier is on their, they're on their way to Jaffa to get Peter. Peter is on a house and he's hungry. It picks up with that. I did actually highlight a lot. I haven't been telling you to highlight a lot, but you might want to go back through there and highlight some of those things when, you, when he's finding these people, these pe it, how this is critical in understanding this. <clears throat> but here's something really important. It says in verse 10, it says, first of all, in verse 9, he was up on the housetop. He went up there so he could pray. Um, Y'all do understand it's not a roof like my house. It was a flat roof, typically. Uh, people would go up there to get cool if it was hot. would be some shade up there. You'd catch a breeze. That's also where a son would typically build his room <clears throat> to live in his father's house when he would get a bride. That's why Jesus said, I'm going to my father's house to prepare a place for you. That's why we're going to the marriage supper of the lamb. That's why we're called the bride of Christ. It's all connected to that. Well, this is where Peter went so he could get up there, go along while they're preparing the food. And it's in the middle of the day. And look at this. And it says, and he became hungry and wanted to eat. And he falls in a trance. Now, I don't know about you, if I'm hungry, it's hard to sleep. It's hard to go to sleep. I'll put it that way. Does that make sense? If I'm hungry, I'm sitting there going, you know, if I went and got something to eat, I'd fall asleep a lot easier. That's not good for my waistline, but it does work for my, you know, bedtime hours. <laughs> but it says here, and it's so, I need you to understand, he didn't fall asleep. The Scriptures tells us, he was hungry, he wanted to eat something, and he falls into a trance. <laughs> God uses our circumstances to teach us lessons. Peter was a very devout person, but I think God allowed him to get hungry because he's going to show him a vision that's going to rock his world, and it's connected to what Peter wants and thinks he needs. Does that make sense? Have you ever thought about something as you went to sleep and then all of a sudden you're dreaming about it or something related to it? This isn't a dream, but it's a trance and God is doing the same kind of thing and he's giving him a vision. So what is the vision? <clears throat> the vision is eating. Meeting the need that Peter thought he had. And so a vision of a sheet 
that's attached to something on the four corners. Don't know what that is because it's called like a vessel. But it says this sheet is coming down. It's got all these creeping animals and four-legged beings, all these different kinds of animals in it. Anybody here ever see the children's cartoons of Peter's vision, you know, in Sunday school books and stuff, you know, with all the animals and snakes and pigs and, you know, all this weird stuff in the sheet, right? Because it says, which were all kinds in verse 12 of four-footed beasts of the earth, wild beasts, creeping creatures and birds of the air. And the voice in verse 13 said, rise up, Peter, slay and eat. What is it that Peter said? Peter's response is, uh, that ain't happening. This voice, this vision tells Peter, go ahead and kill whatever you want and eat. And Peter goes, mm, that is not happening. He literally says, not at all, master. Not happening, Lord. Mind doing it. Mm-mm. And then look what he says. Because I have never eaten what was common or unclean. In your notes, you might want to underline that or highlight that. That's in verse 14. This is very important. Very important. He says, I have never eaten anything that was common or unclean. Those are two separate things. It's not two words to describe the same thing. It's two words to describe two separate things. Um, Do you remember the story about uh, Jesus and the disciples are walking through the field and they pluck some heads of grain, they rub it together and they eat it while they're going and the Pharisees come and they say, why is it that your disciples did not follow the teachings of the, of the, of the fathers and they're eating with unclean hands or common? It made it common if they weren't following rabbinical law or if something was not killed properly it would be considered common, meaning, okay, sheep is a clean animal to eat, right? <clears throat> but if it wasn't killed properly, or roadkill sheep is not good to eat, that would be considered common. I don't care how warm it is. It's called common, don't eat it. That God says if it's been killed by wild animals or you find it out, don't eat it. Of course, that's just a horrible law in the Torah, isn't it? You know, meaning, you know what? There might be disease in there. Don't eat it. That's called common. Make sense? Unclean is unclean. Animals that aren't meant for food. Evidently, they're both in the sheet. And Peter sees it and he goes, no, I am not eating it. There's no way I'm eating it. Right? Then the voice comes a second time, and evidently this same conversation happens three times. We're not told that everything is said all three times, but later Peter says that this happened three times. Anyhow, it says, this voice in verse 15 says, this voice came to him again a second time, and then he says this, 
What Elohim has cleansed, you do not consider what? Common. Common. Nowhere in here does he say that he has taken unclean animals and considered them clean. He says three times, Peter, I need you to understand that if I've considered something cleansed, you don't call it common. You picking up on that? Common. He didn't say, don't call it unclean. He says, don't call it common, right? So while he has seen this three times, the sheet goes up and Peter's going, oh, that's just, that's crazy. I, I must have had some bad pizza because there's, he's just, there's, he says he was troubled in his spirit. He's sitting there going, there, there's something wrong here. This is wrong. There's not, there's, this, this is wrong. Um, so he's pondering it and he's troubled in his spirit. And while he's pondering it, in verse 19, it says, while Peter, Kepha, was thinking about the vision, the Spirit says to him, okay, heads up, Pete. There's three guys coming. They've been sent by me for you to go with them. I need you to go with them and don't be doubting anything. Just do it because I said so. That's Paul Henry paraphrase. He says, just do it because I said so, right? So Peter goes, I'm the guy you're looking for. Uh, what's up? Uh, wh- wh- why, do you, why do you need me? So then they go through the story. This Roman, this guy Cornelius, he's a centurion. Uh, he had a vision and he sent us to come get you. Now, there's a little phrase in here that nobody ever really wants to talk about. To me, it just kind of jumped off the page because it says, <clears throat> they tell him that, and they said, you're, you're supposed to come. We're supposed to hear words from you. The very first part of verse 23 says, so inviting them in, he housed them. And they don't leave until the next day. So he brings them into his house or the house he's staying at. Okay, he brings them into the house, feeds them, and y'all sleep here. For Peter, this is huge. Peter was steeped in rabbinical law, just like Paul. And Peter was actually prejudiced. He had a problem. Paul has to call him out on it later. Among the the uh, followers of, of Yeshua, <clears throat> because of this group that ends up that's with Peter, He's, they're with him all the time. We're going to see it again. Um, so <clears throat> Peter realizes that the vision is about people. Okay, so then he gets up and he goes. He goes like, "Okay, man, he just spoke." Tabitha get up, she gets up, you know, Aeneas paralyzed eight years, he gets up. I mean, he's been seeing miracles, right? He's got to be walking around going, I'm not going to see anything that's going to freak me out, right? Because it's just whatever. But he sees this vision of the sheet, that freaked him out. Something's got to be wrong. 
right? But then the Spirit shows up and says, there's three men down here. You need to go with them. And Peter, I don't need you doubting. Why does he say it? Peter, I don't need you to doubt me on this. You just go with them. There's only one reason why Peter would be doubting it. Well, they're Gentile. And he's steeped in religious rabbinical law. And watch this. It'll come back up in, in Acts 15. But Peter says, you know it's against the law for a Jew to eat with or associate with Gentiles. That's not Torah law. That's rabbinical law. The law of the land from the rabbis, not the law of the Bible. Okay? That makes sense? So um, he goes and he finds Cornelius. Cornelius knows that he's coming, right? Because he trusts what God has already told him. Look, it's not like they sent a carrier pigeon or they called on his cell phone, you know, he's coming. Um, they go, they stay one night, they get up and go back the next day. So they're traveling, to get, they're traveling back. Cornelius knows about how long, and he's just, God said, go get him, go get him. He's, he's going to bring him, he's going to bring him back. So Cornelius is waiting, but what you'll find in this story is that Cornelius has his whole household and all of his friends waiting. That means that during the time his servants and this other soldier has traveled to Jaffa to get Peter, Cornelius has been going around gathering his friends. I saw a vision from God. He showed up at my house. He told me to send and get this guy in Jaffa to come back here. So I sent for him. It's this Peter guy. He's coming to my house. They all show up. Hallelujah. Isn't that cool? So in verse 33, this is where Cornelius says, this is what I did. This, so Peter shows up and he goes, okay, I'm here. In his mind, he's got to still be thinking, this is a little weird. I'm not really sure I'm following what's happening here. You have to remember something. Paul's ministry was to whom? The Gentiles. Peter's ministry was supposedly to the Jews. But Peter here is ministering to Gentile. Right? Why would God do that? Well, because he needs us to, he needs us to see that when it comes to faith in Yeshua and getting into the eternal kingdom of God, there's no difference between Jew or Gentile. The issue of Jew and Gentile has to do with prophetic issues and God's chosen people for prophetic reasons. You following that? We've been over that a lot here. So in verse 33, he says, So I sent immediately to you, it, and I sent you to you immediately, and you've done well to come. So he says, Now, here we are. We're all here before God. Preach. First thing Peter says, the very first thing he says in response, he's like, I want to hear it from Cornelius. I heard it from these guys. I want to hear it from Cornelius. 
Here I am. I'm, he's asking him the same question he asked the three guys Cornelius sent. So why'd you send for me? So Cornelius tells him the exact same story. So he's like, oh, this is, this is what happened. Verse 34, and opening his mouth, Kepha, Peter, says, truly I see that God shows no partiality, but in every nation he who fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. He's seeing right here, he'll tell us again later uh, when he's telling the Jerusalem council that this was about people and it, wasn't, it was never about food. So then now he starts preaching and he says, okay, so this word came, it came to uh, Israel, started at the baptism of John, where he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Holy Spirit comes down on him in the form of a dove. He's, he's condensing all this. He does all these miracles all through Israel and specifically in Jerusalem where they killed him, hung him on a tree, hung him on a cross. He rose from the dead specifically three days later. He was witnessed by many and I'm one of them. And God the Father, Cornelius, who you've been praying to is the one that is saying, this one, Yeshua, is the one that you have to call upon for salvation. While he is saying that, he hasn't had an altar call or anything. He hasn't said, now pray this prayer after me. Nothing. He says, it's the word of God says that as Peter was speaking, the Holy Spirit just falls on the whole place. Boom. Just like what happened at the miracle at Pentecost. Shavuot. And they start speaking in tongues, telling about the greatness of God. Now, this is what I want you to see down in verse 45. <clears throat> this is why you have to understand this and read this in context so that you understand what's going on. This is where you're going to see something because Peter went, he goes there, right? Where Cornelius is and it says, and others went with him. Now you're going to see who the others are. Verse 45, And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as many that came with Peter. What's that talking about? Those of the circumcision. You see that you're going to see this over and over and over throughout the book of Acts. Paul is going to go around preaching. Peter's going around preaching. And there's a group of people following them called the party of the circumcision. These people said, well, we know that salvation is through Yeshua, but the only people that can get saved are Jews. Therefore, you have to convert to Judaism to get saved. So you have to get circumcised or you can't get saved. It's the same ludicrous stuff like people saying, well, if you hadn't been baptized, you're not saved. And everybody goes, what about the thief on the cross? Well, but we're talking about after the resurrection. Whatever. Um, so <laughs> get me going on that. So this is the group that went with him that were part of the circumcision party. They were Jews that believed in Yeshua, but they also believed 
only Jews can get saved. So if you want to get saved, you have to become Jewish. And the only proof that you really became Jewish is you're going to have to get circumcised. And you're going to have to go through all of our teaching and all of our training. You're going to have to get approved, blah, 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 blah. Then you can get saved. You following that? That's why it says they were astonished. They were going, time, whoa, 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 whoa. This doesn't fit our paradigm. This doesn't fit my theology. Mm, something's wrong. Remember, they saw this happen in Jerusalem at Pentecost, but who was there? There were Gentiles, but there were also a lot of Samaritans. There were mainly Jewish people celebrating what we call Pentecost. It's the Feast of Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, right? And the Holy Spirit comes on them. They're all speaking in their native tongue from all over the world where they had come to celebrate. So they were kind of like, that's a little, that's a little off. Okay. But you know how your mind can go, but we can, we can skirt around this one. Right. Does that make sense? Now they're seeing full blown Gentiles, Roman soldiers and stuff. They're seeing pagans getting saved, speaking in tongues. Whoa, 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 whoa. That, that's not possible because you got to become Jewish. You see, that's why why they had this mindset. So God is doing this to try to break down these dumb rabbinical barriers. Man-made laws. He never said that in the Bible. He never said that. He said salvation comes to the world through them. How? Yeshua was a Jew. The whole thing prophetically surrounds them. That's what all that meant. But it didn't mean you had to become a Jew to get saved. Can somebody say hallelujah? Man, and it says in verse 46 is they were hearing them speaking in tongues and they're, they're praising God, praising God the Father. They're like, ah. so this is why Peter makes this next statement. He makes the very next statement in verse 47. Is there anybody here going to forbid them from getting baptized? Because you know what? The same Holy Spirit's been poured out on them. It's already been poured out on, uh, poured out on us, been poured out on them. You just saw it. Are you really going to tell me I shouldn't baptize them? I'm waiting to hear. You just imagine him standing going, anybody want to say anything? Anybody want to be fighting God? I mean, we're all believing in Yeshua, right? Yeah, like, um, what'd you just see? Anybody want to doubt that they really got saved? right? That's kind of what he's asking. And we ought to baptize them as a sign of their dedication to God. Doesn't mean it's going to get them saved. They're already saved. Anybody here want to say they shouldn't get baptized? That's what he's asking. These Jewish believers are part of the circumcision party. That's why he says, and that's why it's right after that statement where it says these people are the circumcision, they're astonished. They're going, I don't understand. This is not fitting my theology. This is wrong. This doesn't work. That's not how it works. (laughs) Aren't you glad that God doesn't do things our way? Oh my goodness. If anyone is anyone able to forbid water that they should not be immersed who have received the Holy Spirit, even as we have. Of course, nobody said anything. And so he said, commanded them to get baptized in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah. And then he stays. Folks, these stories right here are about 
people coming to faith in Yeshua. It's not about does the Torah apply or not anymore. It's not, that's not even the, that's not the discussion. Did you see that? Isn't it, or, or whether we should eat pig or snake or whatever. That's not the discussion. And Peter's going to bring it up again in the Jerusalem council where he's going to say, everybody here knows how it's unlawful for a Jew to enter the house of a Gentile. Well, you're not going to find that in the Torah, but Peter says it's unlawful. Well, what's he talking about? Rabbinical law. Just because the word law is in your Bible doesn't mean it's always saying the Torah of the Old Testament. Does that make sense? So what we need to see here is this beautiful story of people from all different aspects of life. You got some guy, don't know a whole lot about him, other than he's been paralyzed for eight years. And praise God, a minister of Jesus shows up and he says, man, in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. Man, he gets up and walks. People come to faith in the Messiah. Then there's this other lady. She's a great lady. She's a minister in her community. She's taking care of the poor and the widows and such and so forth. Spoken of highly in her old community. She gets sick and dies. They find out Peter's around. Go get Peter. God raises her from the dead, just like Lazarus. You know what's really sad, though? She had to die again. It was just temporary. The guy that got up and walked, he died. He's not still running around down here. Lazarus died again. Whatever miracle God's doing in our lives, that's for today and benefiting us today and ultimately for His glory, however that works out. But it's not like God's like, I'm just, you know, I'm going to keep patching that body together forever. No. If He tarries, everybody in this room, depending on how old we are, will go to our own funeral, depending on how long it takes for Yeshua to come back. Amen? I mean, that nobody's beat the system yet. Right? Elijah, Enoch, Moses, kind of. That's a whole other story. Um, <clears throat> but nobody's basically beat it because God said, when this happens, death's going to enter the world. But Yeshua came to deliver us out of that. So what's really cool is Tabitha, she dies. She, her body is uh, lifeless. So she gets healed and raised from the dead, not based on her faith. I don't think the people brought him there to try to get her raised from the dead because they're all, they're like, wow. They just know. They're like, just get him here. We don't know what will happen. Just get him here. He needs to be here. Uh, And she comes back to life. And many, many, many people come to faith in Yeshua. Then you got somebody that believes in the God of the Bible and he's a nice person, but he's totally outside of the fellowship of God's people. <clears throat> Meaning he's not circumcised, he's not Jewish, he's, he hasn't been rabbinically approved. Uh, but God speaks to him, and he goes and gets Peter, <clears throat> and he brings his family and friends to his house, and they all get saved, and get saved so miraculously that they end up speaking in tongues. 
the issue of people speaking in tongues happens three times, and every time it happens, it happens with a different people group. The Jewish people, the Samaritan people, and now the Gentiles. Why? Because salvation is for all the world, not just the Jew, not just the Gentile, not everybody else but these people. It's for everybody. Pretty cool, huh? Here's what we do. We have a tendency to constantly look at our Bible and we take things out of context and we focus on the wrong things. Everybody wants to focus on Peter's vision. And I'm sitting there going, it's about people getting saved and lives changed. So I tell people all the time, they say, I'm free to eat whatever I want to eat. I'm like, you're, you're right. You're exactly right. We are all, everybody in there, we're free to do, you know that? You're free to do whatever you want to do. You are. You're free to do whatever you set your heart to do. And that is definitely between you and God. And I'm going to say it again. If, if you want to eat pork and shrimp and all that stuff, you're not going to offend me. I don't care. I don't care. I'm still going to love you. I don't care. You're free to do whatever you think is okay between you and God. I'm going to keep teaching what the Bible says. That's what it says. And if you think it's okay, then okay. Whatever. You know what? Paul Henry is so messed up. I've only got time to worry about me. I... That's all I've got time to worry about and to continue to repent and try to get as close to God before he calls me home because I want my exit interview to be shorter then than it would be today. Okay, I'd like to just keep knocking some minutes off of that exit interview, you know, get closer to hearing well done now good and faithful servant instead of, all right, Paul, we need to talk because I got a list, you know. Um, and so I'm more worried about that than anything else. Um, and people freak about, freak out about all this kind of stuff. Um, I, you know, you need to do what God is calling you to do. I think he's calling us to be separated unto him. The Bible is not a disjointed book. You can't understand. It's real simple. The devil has been telling us all along Oh, you can't understand your Bible. Anybody here ever hear that or thought that or felt that? Where do you think that lie's coming from? I just read you. That's not complicated, is it? I mean, if you can read, if you can follow stuff on Facebook and at least think you know what's being talked about, we just read three stories that seem to be on the surface real simple to understand. Are there other things in there? Possibly. It's always the, devil, uh, the, the Bible's got tons of levels to it. But the simple story is, this is what this was talking about. And Peter understood clearly what the vision was about. And everybody wants to say, well, you see right there, that means I can eat snakes. You know what I say? Wear yourself out. Wear yourself out. That's fine. I ain't eating it. I'm too scared uh, I've got enough stuff in my ledger. And I, I can't be the only one, right? 
Anybody here got stuff in your ledger other than me? Uh, I'm too scared to not get rid of the stuff in my ledger that I'm sitting there going, well, if that's what the Bible says, that's what I'm doing. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. I'm doing everything I can to keep as many as I can, as many days in a row as I can, and there are day after day after day I'm starting over, right? You know, I'm trying to let's see how many days. And so I'm starting over all the time, but I'm like, I want to do this because I want to please my Heavenly Father. I want to glorify His name. Uh, he's put His Word and His love in my heart, and I just want to praise Him. And I want to do this, watch this, so that people can find Yeshua as their Savior. You know what breaks my heart about all of this? I feel really separated from a lot of people because they think I've joined a weird cult. And then I'm out here, I don't know, doing some weird stuff and we're, I don't know, doing all kinds of rabbinical things or something. It's weird. And I'm like, no, uh, I just believe the Bible, believe what it says. But I, I want people to come to faith in Christ, come to faith in Messiah, and their lives be changed. I'd like to see people that were spiritually dead brought back to life. I'd like for people to understand their Bible so they can walk in fullness and abundance. Um, but people have the wrong, they have these misconceptions because, well, this is what I've heard my whole life. I'm like, well, I'm sorry. I don't know what to tell you other than this is what your Bible really says. Um, this, these stories are beautiful and powerful. Um, and people having their lives changed. A guy who was paralyzed and crippled. There I was, right? Either mentally, spiritually, or whatever, emotionally. And God shows up and heals me. Dead in my trespasses and sins, the scripture says. While we were still enemies of Christ, he died for us in Romans. Uh while we were basically hateful towards him, even though we probably thought we were good, says we were his enemies and he, and he died for us, showed us how much, how much he loves us. Uh, outside of the fellowship, watch this. And I think this might even be a little bit, uh, could be a little bit related to even those of us now understanding the Torah, where we believed in Jesus, believed in God, and tried to be good. Um, and we were outside of, understanding of our the Jewish roots, if you will, of, of the Bible. And all, but we're like, but God, I, I want to understand and I, I want to follow you. And he goes, okay, then I'm going to show you. Uh, because Cornelius was a good guy and a God-fearing man, right? He just wanted to know more fully and God goes, no problem. I'm going to send you Peter. He's going to speak to you. You're going to come into a fullness of understanding. My Holy Spirit's going to flood all over you. I'm fixing to rock your world. Wow. Really cool, right? This gospel message is powerful. We hold it. Uh, we shouldn't hold on to it. We should be giving it away. Don't be afraid this holiday season to wish people a, a good time, Merry Christmas, whatever, and to talk to them about the Messiah. It can be a great witnessing time. A, a great time. You don't have to be totally separate. It, it, hopefully that doesn't, it shouldn't offend anybody. 
But even that can be offensive, right? Um, um, We should be willing to be with anybody and everybody we can to try to share the gospel with them. Because there are people around us every day that are blind to the truth and simply don't understand. That have a connection with church and religion, but absolutely clueless. And I'm out there now, and I, I do enjoy working with my brother and doing construction work. And I get to mix it up with people that are out there. And it just breaks my heart. Good people. Nice people. Lifestyle so opposite of mine, unbelievable. But my heart's breaking for them. And so I'm using just every little opportunity I have to try to share the truth with them. Everybody that's from Jewish to nothing to used to be involved in a church that now has a sexual lifestyle that's really deviant to whatever. Um, People that lie, cheat, steal. (laughs) Um, But just want to share the truth with them. So this holiday season, instead of seeing it, you know, like, okay, well, um, you know, this is what we do. and We're no better than anybody else, folks. No better than anybody. We're just trying to glorify our King. Amen? So I do. I, at times, I, people say, oh, Merry Christmas. I say, well, you know what? Merry Christmas to you and Happy Hanukkah. Quite honestly, and they go, uh, yeah, that's that. That's that, that's that uh, Jewish Christmas, right? And I'm like, well, sort of, kind of, not really. But, uh, that, but that's what we do. They, oh, you don't do Christmas? No, we do Hanukkah. Well, why, why do you do that? So it opens up an opportunity to kind of talk to them a little bit about it and say, you know, I'm just here to glorify God and get away from man-made traditions. Really? Yeah. You'll find more and more people that uh, they're like, okay, yeah, because Christmas can be really stressful. You know, we're supposed to worship God. It's supposed to be real stressful. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. That's kind of where we are, but uh, this is what the Bible says. Amen? God loves you. Loves you so much that He came and died for you. Rose again, seated at the right hand of the Father. This same Jesus is coming back. You need to brace yourself because it's not going to pan out the way any of us in this room really think. So you just need to brace yourself. Um, because he's the king of kings, lord of all lords. He's the god of all gods. And when this Jesus comes back, he's not going to come back as your buddy. He's not coming back as your drinking buddy. He's not coming back as your golf buddy. He ain't coming back as just your pal. He's coming back as God in all of his glory. Um, Full of love, but God. Nonetheless, amen.